I'm Dana Harris, Editor-in-Chief of IndieWire, and this is IndieWire Influencers. Today we have Andrew Haig, who is the director of 45 Years. He's also the director of Weekend and, back in the day, Greek Pete. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the passion you seem to have for intimate relationships, which I would say, I'd wager, is really the subject of all your films, including your TV show, Looking. Um, what is that about? Why is that, you know, it's really, it's like it's one-on-one relationships that you really seem to hone in on. What's that about? Yeah, I'm just kind of fascinated by them because I think in life they are the most important things in our lives. Like they become everything in our lives. Like they define us. Like most of us, we like to think we're defined by our work and our jobs and what we achieve. But in the end, for most of us, it is our relationships. They are so important to us. So it makes sense that I would look at them like in great detail and I also think that it's it's like we as people come to understand our identities, our own identities through our relationships. We like project who we want to be within our relationships. We want someone to understand us. So they become such a like fertile ground for like exploring character in films and exploring. You know, I think for me, the two things I'm most interested in about are people trying to understand who they are and what they want from the world and how they get that from the world. And relationships seem a really good way to explore that because, I don't know, they just come to define us so much. It seems to me, I mean, I don't, having seen both um, Weekend and 45 Years, I don't see that there's any tremendous difference in terms of the relationships themselves, but in terms of the fact that one's about a straight couple and one's about a gay couple. But it doesn't seem as, to you, is there any difference in terms of trying to parse those relationships I think I think no in many ways I think it's the same you know I've, I've said before but I think 45 years is like a sequel to, to weekend in many respects and I do feel like at the core of us we have the same desires we have the same desire for intimacy we have the same desire to not be alone in the world and find someone that understands us and like you know find someone that you can like gang up with against the rest of the world and feel connected with so I feel like at the root it's exactly the same I think being gay you perhaps have some extra like struggles that you have to bring with you into relationships, extra baggage that especially have a lot to do with your understanding of yourselves and, and how you project that to the world. So I think there are differences, mm-hmm. but I think like underneath all those differences, there's more that's the same. And I think that's the same with everything. Like I think we live in a society where everybody's very determined to show how different everyone is, and everyone is. There's very specific you know, things in everyone's lives that makes them different, but at the core centre there's a kind of very much the same thing is going on. Well, and actually, talking about baggage, I mean, that is sort of at the core of 45 years is this bit of baggage that's literally stored in the attic. Mm. Talk a little bit about, you know, why you think such a, because a small thing can have such power. Because it's like, ultimately, I feel like, and I feel like I don't want to say too specific to be like spoilery or anything. What ha- what, what their experience is, is something that's not inherently um, incendiary. But there is something about it that it's like it actually, you know, totally upends their relationship, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, first of all, the past always interests me because I think however much we pretend that we can get over things that have happened to us and we can move on from our past, our past absolutely defines 
everything we do in the present. We can't help it. It's just it's we're, we're made by the events in our past. So there's no escaping it. But I think we're very good at like repressing and keeping it hidden and forgetting and ignoring and storing it up in the attic and putting it in the closet and putting it under your bed and getting rid of it. But in the end, I think it bubbles up to the surface and kind of can get you and can kind of attack you. So I think it's always there. And I think what I found interesting in 45 years is you're completely right. You should be like, why is this event having such a traumatic mm-hmm. effect on both the relationship, but also on the people individually mm-hmm. and their understanding of themselves? And I think that's the key. It's like it starts to un- just very delicately, slowly unravel their understanding of what their life has been of what they've been together and also what they've been individually and their own identities. And I think when you start to do that and you like shine a microscope on something, it's almost like your whole life can like lose its meaning. It can like crumble away. And I feel like both of the characters are essentially thrown into their own existential crises from this event that really shouldn't affect things. But I think we're so fragile as people. We like to think we're strong. We like to think that we've got everything together but we're not. We are fragile individuals, and as in, and our relationships are still fragile. It seems like I mean, um, I mean, it seems like you have a really powerful worldview about you know about this, like you said about the nature of past, the nature of relationships. What what formed that in you? Where does that come from? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just been. I've always been like I don't know, a pretty like insular person. You know, growing up, I I've always kind of. You know, people have always thought, you know, I'm sitting in a corner looking sad and melancholy when really I'm just like always been thinking about those kind of things. And I think, you know, things in my life, in my past that have happened to me, you know, personal things from from growing up, I know have had such a profound effect on how I see the world. And I know that there are things out of my control that have happened to me along the way, but they dictate everything I do and everything I think about and dictate how I have relationships and how I go through life. And I can't escape that past. Um, however much I might want to or forget certain things, I can't escape it. And I'm pretty sure that that happens for most people, that you can't escape those things. And I, you know, so I'm interested in exploring those. Well, um, you uh, were obviously raised in the UK and you went to boarding school. What was that like? Because that is, to me, that's always seems like, like such a unique experience. Maybe, a, and it, seem, it seems like a more prototypical typically British one? Yeah, I mean, I think it's still not the norm in, in Britain. I mean, I went to, uh, you know, boarding school basically after my parents separated mm-hmm. and we were moving around a lot and it it was the, it made sense for me to go, I suppose. And, you know, in my parents' mind, it was a great education and all those kind of things. And, you know, I didn't find it easy. It wasn't an easy thing for me to, to go through. I've got some amazing friends that I'm still friends with from that period. And, you know, you're, it's a weird. My boarding school was quite strange. It was a very liberal school, as boarding schools go. So it's not the cliched version of, like, a Being caned board. or whatever. No, it was, like, yeah. a bunch of boys and girls getting drunk and taking drugs <laughs> most of the time. Is all I can remember it really being. So, you know, you get up to a lot of mischief and you start to, like, understand who you are in those environments with nobody, with no parents around to tell you what you should and should not be doing, which was um, really interesting. Uh, but still, it was a hard environment for me. I didn't necessarily enjoy it all the time and kind of growing up, realising I was gay within that environment was mm-hmm. not easy and coming to terms with that within that environment was was hard. A boarding school experience is a certain type of experience. It's a lot of essentially white middle-class people with conservative parents <laughs> and that's a strange environment to be around and not one that even in those days felt 
an environment I necessarily enjoyed being around. But you know, saying that, I've you know, it was it's not all bad, but it was certainly an interesting experience. Well, actually, what do you think about schooling in general? I mean, just in terms of like, for example, you know, you went to film school. You went to L.A. Film School, which is around the corner from where we are right now, and which is not even you know, not even one of the more prestigious film schools. But how important do you think that was for you know, in terms of your work? Because you've obviously you've done amazing work. Do you think that's something that film school you could have done without film school? I think I definitely could have done it without film school. But I think what film school did was I'd been working for a long time as an assistant editor, doing a bunch of jobs, saved up a bunch of money, and then did a year's course at LA Film School. And what it did, it just meant I could focus on films for a year. And really, that's what it did more than anything else. And it was just a one-year school? It was a one-year course. I couldn't afford to go for like three years you know, and I'd been rejected from National Film School in England, which is like <laughs> uh, free. It doesn't cost anything. And I got rejected after I had my interview. So I was like really pissed about that. So I then did this course afterwards because I knew what I wanted was just the space to concentrate on doing it. I kind of had ideas of what it was I wanted to explore and what I wanted to do. But, you know, it's hard when you have a regular job and I needed to live and, you know, earn money and all those kind of things. So it's very hard to focus. And LA Film School allowed me to spend a year focusing on that so in terms of what you found most valuable i mean you've done you did a um a number of things before you made your uh first feature you did i think four shorts and uh you also were an editor um with uh he had an editorial role i think on the gladiator and black hawk down what of these you know what do you think had the most impact for you in terms of finding your voice yeah it's probably not working on those bigger films necessarily but and I was always just an assistant on those films sure. I was never actually editing there's like a few jobs that I've had that have definitely had an impact my first job after I left university where I didn't study film I studied history but I went and worked for Merchant Ivory which mm-hmm. was you know and I was basically Ismail Merchant's assistant for a year so what was that like <laughs> like insane like and fascinating and that company when I look back at it, I actually think that's had more of an effect on how I work than anything else. They work in a very, very small scale. They're passionate about things. It's like some very weird family, <laughs> odd, strange family that doesn't always connect And they're well. notoriously cheap. Notoriously cheap. Like They didn't pay me anything, which is why I resigned <laughs> after a year. I was like, I can't do this. But like, yeah, I, was being, I was being paid like £50 a week, which when you're living in London is nothing. nothing. It was impossible. And, you know, luckily London was a bit, this is like 1995. So it was still a bit cheaper in those days. And I was living above a Dunkin' Donuts, which was there at that point, which was nice. But it was like, it was a really fascinating experience. And I loved some of their films, actually. I looked back, I watched Room with a View again recently. Which is great. And it's such a good film. And it's so much bolder and braver that anyone gives credit for that film. You know, it's really, really interesting film. And I did quite like the way they worked. I thought it was a very interesting way of working. And then editing, you pick up all kinds of things. You realize what not to do. You realize that people completely ruin and fuck up films that actually could have been really interesting. Sure. And they get to a certain state. I, I've noticed that like everything I work on, you get to like a plateau level. Writing, filming, shooting, editing, everything. When the film is never going to be any better, it's only going to be different. And you have to understand when that hits and then you basically have to abandon it and move on to the next project because it's just going to be different and you're going to edit for years or too many people are going to say things and it's going to get worse and I've worked on a bunch of films that you see a cut and you're like great and then it gets worse and then the 
fiddle fuckery begins. The fiddle fuckery begins. And they're like, well, I don't think anyone's going to understand that. And we did a screening in like somewhere in the middle of nowhere and they didn't like that character. So can you change that? And they say, like, Jesus. <laughs> so I basically learned, I don't show my films to anybody when I'm editing. Nobody. Not a really? single person. My producer. And then obviously the execs when I have to show it to them. But I don't like show it to friends. I don't even show it to my partner. I don't show it to anybody. Because I, like I just want to kind of stay focused on what I want it to be. And it's very easy because we're so full of doubts all the time that we're making a mess of things that I can't deal with that like possibility that, I'm doing something, there's a different way to do it type thing. I don't want to hear that noise. How do you, well, actually, how do you deal with the doubts? I mean, it's like, that's, I mean, because as you say, it's like, you know, you don't want to hear from anybody that it's like, you know, by the way, you're going the wrong way. You don't want to hear that. But at the same time, you could ostensibly get support from people by Mm. getting feedback and stuff. So how do you, you know, how do you basically have the courage of your convictions? It's hard. And most of the time you're like terrified that you're making the wrong decisions. And I think luckily I've got a good producer and a good editor and I like working with them and I listen to thoughts that they have. So I do have those two people. It's not like I have nobody. But then it's just like, you know, I just have to keep remembering what it is I'm trying to do. And it's not even like, I try not to intellectualize it too much. It's like, how am I feeling? Am I still feeling how I wanted to feel when I'm watching this scene or watching this film? And most of the time, I'm not listening to what they're saying anymore because you've heard it so many times. But you're just trying to get to that point where like, okay, I'm having an emotional effect at the end of this film. And that's what I want the film to achieve. And everything you do builds up to that point point. Mm-hmm. and if you change something and it affects the ending you kind of have to go back and think about it what it is that you've changed and it can be something from the beginning that you've taken out and suddenly something doesn't feel the same in the end but you don't realize that everything is so connected all the way along the way what about the faith in process because i mean I, um if i understand if i understand correctly uh, you don't do rehearsal no which is to me a huge leap of faith what's that about what's that about for you what is I think it's almost like, first of all, I don't know what to do in rehearsals. I try them with short films and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Do we like, I don't really fully understand acting. So I don't want to like interfere to the extent that I start messing their their process up. And I find rehearsals, I find them all a little bit embarrassing. You're sitting around a table and you're like going through the script and trying different things. And I feel like it ruins some kind of spontaneity and it ruins something. But also it's saying to the actors, I suppose, I have complete faith that you can do this. I know you can do this. Otherwise, I wouldn't have cast them to start with. And you like joining together and then knowing that what you do on the day is all that matters. That's all that counts, really. So I I do spend a lot of time talking about things with the actors, talking around the subjects, talking about how personally I'm invested into the themes of the piece and how they might be. And so with 45 Years, I spent three days with Charlotte, three days with Tom. We just talked about everything we could think of. And then you get to say, you're like, okay, I think we've got it now. And then you just shoot. And even when you're shooting, it's like, it's like you stay open to things that are happening. You guide when you need, when they need guidance, or you just let it happen. If it's, if it's working, you keep just letting that happen and not worrying too much and see what happens in that, in that second. Do the actors respond well to that? Because some actors, you really want rehearsal. I mean, has that that come up for you yet? Well, I think Tom was much more, he's more used to rehearsing and he was like, so when are we doing rehearsals? And Charlotte's like, I'm not doing rehearsals. I don't, I don't, I do not rehearse. If you think we're going into some like, you know, local community theater and hanging around in a back room and rehearsing, it's not happening. So that was nice. And I was glad that she'd said that really. And then, I think when Tom realized we weren't going to work, it's a, it's a slightly scarier proposition because mm-hmm. you get on set, you turn the camera on, and then you have to go. 
But I like that kind of like fear. I like the way that it makes you bond in those moments. Me and the actors and the DP, everybody, you're all sure. nervous. And in a way, it's like, okay, like I've always wanted to be part of like a little gang. I think I've always wanted to be that and feel that and feel like you have a small people around you that like love you and trust you and you can make an enormous amount of mistakes and say stupid things, but it's going to be all right. So I like to try and create that on set because mm-hmm. it feels nice for me. And hopefully it feels nice for the actors and for the crew and all those people. And then you just, yeah, like make mistakes together. So what what was the casting process for you on 45 years? Yeah, it was definitely about like we we made sure that we didn't, we wanted to cast the female lead first. That was right. always essential. I always knew that that had to be the case. I didn't want to like have a bunch of people thinking, oh, these two might go together. I needed to know who was going to play Kate first. Mm-hmm. So we went to Charlotte very early on when we knew we had the green light for funding. Um, and she is like someone I've always been like so fascinated by as a performer, by the choices that she makes with her films, like her dedication, it seems, to do things that she finds interesting. It's like she doesn't really care if the film makes money or not makes money. It's like <laughs> she wants to like do something that interests her, which I think is incredible. And I love that she has like this kind of reputation as being intimidating. And she has like she's so like she seems so strong to me, which I love. I like a strong woman and she has that strength, but also like a really interesting vulnerability that some people see as like a coldness. I've never seen that in her performance. I've always seen that thing that she does as vulnerability behind the strength, not like iciness. So Mm -hmm. I've always found that really fascinating. And I thought she would be perfect for this person who has a real like strength, but at the same time is starting to crumble and like disintegrate before our eyes. And she said, yes, she rang me up. I was in LA editing, looking, and I'd sent her the script, sent her weekend to look at. She rang me up and she was like, Hey, it's Charlotte Rampling here. And I'm like, oh my God, it's Charlotte Rampling. And then we had a very lovely conversation for like an hour. And then she said, yeah, I'd love to do it. And that was that. And then it was like trying to work out who would be best suited to her. And I've, again, I've always loved Tom. Like, Loneliness of a Long Distance is one of my favorite films. I love that film. And he has such an interesting quality that is unlike other male actors of that generation. You know, a lot of them just seem angry to me. Tom seems like there's a real like sensitivity to him that I find really intriguing and it just made sense as a couple that they would like have missing parts of what if each other like joined together in this like lovely union as characters and so it just yeah made sense and again I sent the script to him and the film which he didn't watch uh oh he didn't watch no, he still I don't think he still he still hasn't watched really? the weekend he's like I'm not sure I want to watch that film why I don't know maybe it's the content or maybe <laughs> he did he started watching it and he was like I can't they're all mumbling I can't understand actors nowadays <laughs> just mumble I can't understand but he read the script on his iPhone he says and on his iPhone on his iPhone and he let his wife read the script and she loved it as well and he was just like yeah this is I want I want to do this What's amazing though is like especially seeing as you didn't have rehearsal the the energy between them feels they feel like a well-worn couple. Yeah. It feels like there's this kind of comfort. Is that something that just came up immediately as you guys were shooting? I think so. I mean, I think it's two things. They're both good actors. So they know fundamentally that it's essential that people believe that they love each other at the beginning. Otherwise, the film is nothing. I don't know. Right, right. Or that they have that they have a comfortable existence together as a union. So they know that as actors. So they know that they have to find ways to show the audience that love. And so for us, it was just about like just finding little tiny gestures 
and it you know it's in the script and it's in the performances and it's all just there it's like you know she walks the dog and she comes back and he's all he's you know not dressed but that's all right for her and they have a system and a route i think our lives are so routine based as we get go on in our lives it becomes all about that routine sure and that routine is about finding some kind of comfort and so for me the film was about showing a comfortable routine that works that then becomes shattered essentially and so you know every day she walks the dog but it seems different every day she walks that dog as the film goes on and you know in the end she then doesn't walk the dog one day so it's about showing disruption to that kind of routine was important how big of a scope do you want to work on because it's like you know like i said you've been doing these very intimate two-hander sort of uh dramas do you want to take that to a larger scale or is that something or do you think that's going to be your bailiwick? i'm actually doing a marvel superhero movie <laughs> really <laughs> no. breaking news breaking news yeah no. uh i do although wanna, i'd love to see what you would I do would love to, i've got an idea for one that i really want to pitch really? to them but i i have a funny feeling they might not oh, I bet they go take the meeting it. just out of curiosity. Yeah, it's basically based on Jean-Paul Sartre's No Exit, the play. But really? I want like a bunch of superheroes stuck in a room, like in a like, <laughs> you know, not just like dealing with the consequences of their lives. And they've, Please do this. And they've like lost their powers. <laughs> and it's basically Superman, Batman and Spider-Man. And um, either Spider-Man or maybe Wonder Woman. I'm not quite sure yet. So anyway, that's my plan. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So uh, <laughs> I do want to like go up scale wise but only if it's a story that makes sense mm-hmm. that it should go up in scale i'm you know i would be quite happy making movies that only cost the amount that this cost forever that doesn't really bother me i don't want to just play with more toys for the sake of playing with it they have to be things that i'm interested in the next movie definitely is bigger in scale like it's a bigger budget it's not so much a relationship movie so it is different but at the heart of it, I think it's still it's a story about a kid, a fifteen year old kid, and it's still him trying to find some kind of place that feels like safe for mm-hmm. him and comfortable for him and where he can exist happily. So it's still thematically it's it's I think it's very similar, but it's definitely it's a bigger scale, it's a slightly bigger cast, uh, and yeah, it's a it's a bigger movie. So what is so what is the financing experience been like for you? So weekend was like really difficult to find to finance. Like even though the budget in the end was like we made that film for a hundred thousand pounds, so which is like nothing, one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, cheap, nothing, cost nothing. But even that, we found it real struggle to get money for. Like I remember giving it around to people, and they were like, "Yeah, it's just two gay guys sitting in a room. Like, <laughs> what's happening? There's nothing's happening. No one's even coming out. There's no like great drama. I don't don't get it." And I would like give all like references to other films that, you know, succeed by just having people talking. You know, I told Eric Roma or like Richard Linklater, they can do it. So no one would give me any money. Um, apart from one small regional based finance thing up in Nottingham gave us some money. So we got to make it. But I was very frustrated and very angry for a long time. I was like, why can I not make a very cheap film? Is it because it's just about gay guys? Is that what really is at the heart of it? And I think... It was, mm-hmm. to be honest, at the root of it. Um, but then because that film was more successful than anybody thought it would be and made it over to America. And let's face it, most British indies never even make it to America. No, they don't. They don't even ever hear about them. You know, even like British filmmakers I love really struggle to get their films shown. I'm a big fan of Joanna Hogg, British filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Like her films are barely, you know, get seen yeah. here. So it's really difficult. But so after Weekend made, uh, you know, 
was relatively successful for what it was, I went back to them. They were like, okay, we'll give you some money now. It's fine. We, sorry. Our bad. <laughs> yeah, we'll give you some money. And they, then they were incredibly supportive, like Film4, the BFI, Creative England. These finance bodies were very, very supportive from day one. They, you know, I was going to them with a film that on the surface was so not weekend. It's like two old people. Again, in a house, talking and not talking. I don't know. It seems pretty weekend to me. They are pretty weekend, I suppose. But they were like, oh, okay. The audience feels different maybe for them. They're like, okay, you've gone in people's minds. It's like a young gay audience is going to see Weekend, but they're not going to go and see a film about two older people. So what's your audience? But but they were very supportive and were were actually really good to work with. Um, And then the next, it's always hard to find. I don't think it's ever easy. And also it's working out, I need to have control over things. I can't like, you know, and as the budgets go up, you know that it becomes harder to have the control that you need. But I, you know, the idea of not, you know, and I don't get final cut because I'm not at that stage, which is hard, but I want to be at least in an environment where the people financing the films are like, we trust you enough that essentially we're going to give you final cut. Yeah, I mean, was there any were there any cuts that the financing organizations wanted? Absolutely on? not. No, yeah. they always they have suggestions like they do, but there's never like in the end. If I'd said no, this is what I need, they would have been fine. They would have been okay. That's fine. And that's what I I always I can't I couldn't bear to be in a situation where I can't do that. You know, I don't want to be in a situation where my films are being previewed and someone's like, yeah, but I don't understand that, which is probably always going to happen in my films. Sure, because that's how I make films. It's not like spoon fed. But then I don't ever want. Someone said, you know what, we have to reshoot a scene where it's really clear and then we put that in, which is like break my heart. Like, I want to know that my mistakes have been my mistakes, not mistakes like forced on me by someone else. Um, well, on that front, though, in terms of like you're asking about like who's the audience, what is the whole distribution experience like for you in terms of, you know, because you've been making films that get picked up, you know, af- you know, after the fact. What is, you know, what has that been like? Because that's always such a huge issue um, in terms of like, okay, you've made it now. How are you going to get people to see it? Yeah, it's so it's, it's so stressful. Like, and it, and I've been I felt like I've been really lucky with Weekend and and um, and Forty Five Years that they got picked up very quickly after the first sure like premiere when Weekend played in South by Southwest. Like, you know, you don't. We were warned like, don't expect it to be picked up. Like, most films will not be picked up straight away out of that festival. And then IFC were there on the opening night and they picked it up very, very... I think the deal was done in before we left South by Southwest. And 45 years, it was the same. Like, the deal was done out of Berlin. And so it's incredibly nerve-wracking and exciting when you have, like, a few people wanting the film. And it's a very hard decision to make. Sure. Who do I go with? And in the end, you know, I want to go... You know, with, in the case of 45 years, went with IFC again. I'd worked with them before... I trusted them. I like them <laughs> as people. And to me, in the end, I just want to work with people that I kind of trust. And in this case, it was, you know, not that the other companies I also probably would have trusted as well. It was just it made sense to go with I. Sure. How would you feel then, you know, as, as much as I would love to see your Satra uh, superhero <laughs> movie, um, how would you feel if, if your career was just was working in this scale, was working on, you know, these intimate dramas that are funded by outfits like the film fours of the world, and you didn't, you weren't going to go into the, the big 20, leagues. 20, 30, 40, I mean, it's like not the, you know, big leagues is like 100, but I mean, like, I don't really see you making those kinds of movies. Um, but I was like, but still larger budgets that, whereas you say you're going to get more people looking at you yeah I don't know how I feel about it to be honest I think my agents would want me to say I feel great about it <laughs> but it's like it's a hard thing I, I I have to know that I'm doing the film 
any project for the right reason. Like, and it shouldn't, and boosting my profile is not a reason to do the film. Sure. Or like making a film just because it means I get to do it for 40 million or work with a famous, hugely famous actor is not a reason to do it for me. It's, they're, they're not reasons. The only reason is if I feel like that I'm exploring something that I really care about and want to explore. And that's the only reason I would ever do something. And it could be in different genre. It might end up that I do make a, like a sci-fi film, but I have to like care about it enough that I want to spend a two years, three years of my life doing it. And then it means something that like it has a continuity to the other projects mm-hmm. I'm doing. And it means something greater. Like I want in the end, all of my films to be like, I would personally just want to see them together and see, okay, I understand the continuity within these films and I understand what they're trying to do. Even if other people don't get that for me personally, I think I do make films for personal reasons, not for reasons of like, you know, being super successful and having, you know, lots of houses. Much to your agent's dismay. <laughs> Much to my But luckily, I think they now understand. Like, initially, they're like, well, you could do this, like, rom-com, you know, with, like, Sandra Bullock. And uh, for me, it's like, I have to know, and I, I think I've told my agents this, and I think they understand it, but it's like, I have to know that the film at least has the possibility of being incredible. Now, it doesn't mean it will be because obviously you make so many compromises and you make mistakes and it never turns out that way. But if it doesn't have that possibility, I don't want to do it. What's the point? And I think so many like other like projects and scripts that I read, I'm like, you know what? This could only ever, the best possible scenario is this could be good. But that's not enough for me. I need to know that it could be incredible. And I think that if I like everything I read and think about, I just take it from that basis and it actually makes it pretty clear you know, whether I want to do it or not. Excellent. Andrew, thank you so much. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of IndieWire Influencers. And please check out our other fine podcasts, Screen Talk and Very Good TV, which are available at iTunes and our own IndieWire.com.